enterprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest escapes these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is presented by Prevenex. I love this brand so darn much. Joint Health Plus has been a big thing for me and for so many of you. I think there's been dozens of people who have tried Joint Health Plus after listening to me talk about it here on the podcast. And they've written wonderful reviews over at Prevenex.com. And it's just so nice to see because I know so many people struggle with this, especially as we get older. And even if you don't, if you're just having trouble in that area, you just have some of those lingering, uh, discomforts. Give Joint Health a try. It's 100% money back guaranteed. You're going to notice a difference in the first seven to 10 days. And what's better than that? So head over to Prevenex.com and use code RUNNER15 to save 15% on your first order. Today's episode is with Marquise Bowden. I couldn't wait to talk to him. Here's another guy who, like myself, played college basketball, loved college basketball, then ultimately made the switch over to running and that's kind of where our comparisons end because this guy is blazing fast, working so darn hard, and he is just really, really on the come up. And he's someone who, despite picking up running at two, in 2017, at kind of a, a, an older age than you would expect most people to pick up running, um, who have kind of reached the heights he's already reached. So he picked up in 2017, and here he is now a sub-240 marathoner, and he's got much bigger goals than that. I couldn't wait to talk to him because here's the guy who just ran his, again, because we're on our Boston Marathon Virtual Race Series, who just ran his own last weekend, set a PR, and again, he has such bigger goals ahead. It's really amazing to see how far he's come over the last few years. You may recognize him because if you go over uh, to his um, Instagram page or frankly go to the Tracksmith or or really anywhere else in the running community. He was part of a Tracksmith ad recently that hyped up the virtual Boston Marathon series. It was really inspiring. We talked a little bit about that as well and just what it's like to go from one sport to another and yet continue to have big goals and to strive for them and to continue striving for them even when you start to reach some uh, some success. And he certainly has done that uh, and done it very, very well. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Marquise. Hello, Marquise, and welcome to the show. Oh, thanks a lot, Matt. Appreciate you having me. It means a lot. I'm excited to have you on. So this is part of kind of a two-week series I'm doing with people who ran the Boston Marathon virtual race. You just completed it this weekend. First of all, congratulations. Oh, man, thanks a lot. It, it was definitely tough, but, you know, got her done, and that's that was the whole plan. <laughs> it's funny. So it was a build-up for a lot of people. I know there's a kind of a huge window for people to complete this race, especially since they kind of extended it for some folks out West who are affected by the wildfires and, and things like that. But part of the buildup for this race in kind of an atypical fashion was this really fun and inspiring video that was making the rounds featuring you. You were already oh, someone man. I wanted to have on the show. All of a sudden oh, <laughs> I'm scrolling through Instagram. I see this unbelievable compilation of it's like the like the, the boston marathon audio of old right these people like narrating the boston marathon with you running through these like bucolic sceneries oh man out, i'm <laughs> assuming out west who knows where you were at the time um and it was like it really pumped me up like it reminded me of like some of those old nike commercials where they had yeah. like beatles <laughs> playing in the yeah. background mm -hmm. you know um 
and it was like, oh, this is really, really good. Um, and it was, it was remember that one? It was like when we all shine on. Exactly. That was like the big one. That was a huge uh, mid nineties. Yeah, <laughs> you're a big basketball guy like me, so I figured you were, you'd get that reference. Oh, so definitely. what was first of all, as someone who's so excited for the Boston Marathon, we'll talk about this later uh, in terms of your buildup. But what was it like for you to be part of kind of that buildup in, in 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 your own little kind of mini commercial of sorts? Oh, I mean, I mean, Matt, like. I'm a definitely a grateful person. Like it, it blew me away as to kind of like, I mean, I didn't get too much info, um, uh, from Tracksmith, which was amazing. I guess I kind of wanted to build up excitement and they were just like, yeah, we just want to do a film. I'm like, all right, cool. We just want to just, you know, record your long run. So I ended up doing 22 miles, uh, for that film and, um, and not knowing really what it was, you know, attached to. And so, um, as it, you know, released and, and seeing the, the power, the profitness behind it, I was like, wow, you know, I didn't know what to think or say in a great way. And I was, I was blown away, absolutely blown away. So what's that like having somebody film you during a long run? Obviously, like if you're running 22 miles, like you're running with a purpose. What was the, what was the scene around you during that? I mean, I mean, it was cold that morning. <laughs> it was pretty cold. <laughs> Oh, but this, you you weren't wearing much clothes. Oh, it was <laughs> oh, it was at least fifty five degrees that morning. It was um, it was it was pretty chilly. Um, but it it was actually uh, I mean Emily May, which is the director of the of the of the film and the crew that did it. Um, they did an absolutely amazing job. Like made it feel natural. Um, they did have a a, a nice camera attached to a truck. Um, so it wasn't filmed by hand. It was pretty much an, a camera again bolted to a truck and it was just, you know, just recording me the entire time of the, um, of the run. And, and it, they made it very, very smooth and kind of felt like it wasn't even there per se. And, uh, they gave, gave me the route. I pretty much just followed the truck and, and that was pretty much it. And they, they did an amazing job. Now, how does something like that come about? Uh, I guess, uh, timing or just, I don't know if luck, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Tracksmith reached out to me. I, I did an actual photo shoot for them for their, for their fall line. And I guess I just kind of just kept the, kept the trajectory going and inviting me out uh, a couple of weeks later and say, Hey, we're going to do a film. I'm like, of course I'm, I can't say no, you know, it's Tracksmith, one of the best brands, you know, out there in the running community. And, um, just them, the opportunity was was life changing. So they just reached out to you, just cold. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Wow, <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I do know one of the one of the the, the creative directors. Uh, I mean, for uh, for tracks, my name is Rafa. Amazing guy, amazing runner. Um, he reached out to me. Hey, we have this idea. Uh, we'd love for you to be part of it. And I couldn't say no, you know, it's, um, it's a lifetime of, I mean, opportunity of a lifetime and, and, um, I've been taught you want to take hold of those. And I was definitely getting grateful. And you, you and your coach Omar had targeted the Boston marathon as a goal race for you. This was pre it being moved to the fall, right? This was something that that you were looking at in the spring. Um, and I, and I want to get, and I, I want to get to your, your running progression in a second. Um, but I, I do want to touch on this is that when you, you know, as someone who's kind of progressing as a runner in a very short time frame, right? Basically 2017 on you're gaining steam, you're getting better and better, but all of a sudden you, this pops up, you have, you know, Tracksmith reaching out, all of a sudden you're going to be in a video that's going to be in preparation for Boston. What was that like in terms of, did it affect 
your own perception or anxiety going into a race that already is fairly atypical? Oh, I mean, to be honest, Matt, yeah, in a way, um, I, I, um, it was, it could have, it was definitely a little bit overwhelming in a positive way. Um, I just kind of had to flip that energy because, you know, my mind, you know, um, granted, I know I put the hard work in, you know, granted with coach Omar, he guided me, gave me every tool I needed. We put in every ounce of work you can possibly need it. So I knew I was confidently ready for the race, but definitely with those, the, 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 the filming and the getting some little bit of a exposure a little bit and, that does add a little bit of anxiety, you know, because like, what? What if Saturday doesn't go well? What if Boston doesn't go well? You know, how are people going to perceive me? Or, um, you know, this, that, and other. Um, but I, I had to trust my training. You know, no matter what uh, happened, you know, that particular Saturday, I knew that I was going to give him my absolute all. So that kind of took over the negative thoughts uh, after feeling that kind of a, of an emotion to know that, man, this could possibly go wrong. And, all this has happened and with, with, you know, with the film and uh, with Tracksmith and, and, uh, but I have to, have to stay strong, uh, stay strong mentally and emotionally about it. And, and I had to definitely compress it <laughs> per se. Now running was not your first love. Like myself, for you, first love was basketball yeah. from an athletic standpoint, I should say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not maybe not generally speaking, but from an athletic standpoint, basketball was your first love. When did that take hold for you? Oh, man. Um, basketball was, I mean, as a very young age, I want to say maybe sixth grade when it started. And then as as I progressed through high school, uh, I played on some great high school teams. And um it just kind of began began to be something that just nurtured into I want to do this for the rest of my life, and uh, pursued it and and there was a lot of trial, a lot of <laughs> heartache, but a lot of time spent. Um, so it I want to say it got really serious, like uh, maybe sophomore year, junior year of high school. And who were some? You know, you're from the L.A. area, and you've lived in that area for a very long time. So who were some of the better players in your area? Say your your junior and senior year. Oh wow, we got huh, it's a ton. Um, you got Brandon Jennings uh, that year, uh, that particular year. I mean, my high school just year. Uh, you got Brandon Jennings. Um, who else we had? Oh man, OJ Mayo was like a draft class of that. Uh, uh, man, so many the Lopez twins. Um, shoot, uh, Javon Johnson, uh, Quentin Quentin Watkins. Uh, it's a it's a whole list of just amazing, just California. Just uh, I know OJ Mill was probably out of out of state, but it, you know we, he he played here in LA a lot, and um, and again Brandon James was in Compton. My my school was in Compton, so we played against them a couple of times. Um, so it was a it was a huge class of of, of just ballers. <laughs> and when you see guys at that level, and you just you just mentioned four guys who played in the NBA and, and several of which who are still playing in the NBA, actually. Um, and you know, these guys are, are at an elite level and you, you get to see them up close and personal. When you had that kind of experience, was it something that drove you as an athlete or would you find it disheartening? Like, wow, these guys are at a completely different plane than me and I'm not sure if I'm going to get there. Uh, I mean, and that, that aspect never crossed my mind. I think I was just more so like, just in the moment, like like I belong here, but even at that time, I wasn't playing that much. Of I was, I had some amazing players on my team as well, so I wasn't getting a lot of playing time. But just being in that presence, um, 
was just it was just a different it was just a, a, amazing I mean a normal but amazing feeling knowing that just playing basketball but knowing that these guys are definitely another tier uh, uh per se you know like we play in a tournament called Mission Prep that happened in St. Louis Obispo and that's when you you know again we've seen playing against Lopez Twins and Quincy Poindexter and uh I think Darren Collinson was there that year uh Oh man! Again, the the list goes on of just. Quincy Pondexter just, was a man child. Oh, he was. That he looked, was, that guy was, looked like he had puberty at like ten years it old. Was, it like was he unreal, looked... <laughs> unreal, just jumping off the gym. And uh, I mean, I'm sure I'm missing a, uh, forgetting a lot of names, but that's just something of a memory that I'll never forget. The Christmas tournament at Mission Prep High School, and uh, and this school had like a lot of just like Dominican Republicans and Brazilian kids, like fresh over from over the water, like. I mean, I think 2007 was like the year of like just just man child of size, you know, basketball players uh, as far as I remember. Um, but it was just un- basketball, was just unreal. As I remember it uh, being in high school, it was just unreal. Just I was just grateful to be a part of it. And for a lot of kids who play sports actively in high school, the reasons behind it can be as varied as the people who play them. So besides a love for basketball, what were some of the drivers for you uh, in terms of the motivation to to strive in that area or to say, hey, I want to be part of basketball for my lifetime? Like, What, what were some of the motivations beyond just love for the sport? Uh, I mean, my grandmother. My grandmother's my backbone. Um and she's always pushed me and obviously definitely follow my dreams, but uh, just pushed me to just to just do something great with your life, you know? Um, and at the same time, she also gave me a, a heart, a heartache about basketball. Like, you know, you know, it's just especially seeing that I went through so much with it. Um, so I respected it so much because she just wanted the absolute best for me. Um, but also pushing me to find other avenues in my life. And I will always be rebellious because long, no grandma, like, Basketball's my dream. I don't want to do anything else, you know. And I feel like a lot of people have went. I mean, I can. T- I'm sure a lot of people went through that in their lives, you know, especially when they're chasing a goal, and you know, your family's you want know, to support you and, or not support you, but you get different. You get different sides of the avenue of of the ocean per se in chasing that. But my grandmother, for sure, uh, she was my motivation, and it still is. <laughs> so when you left high school and you're like, okay, obviously the next step here. Is to you know is is to play to play college ball and see where it takes me. I guess unless you're Brandon Jennings, in yeah. which case <laughs> you go play in Europe for a year and then you get yeah. drafted. Um, oh man, would have been know, nice. It, it, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and even even now, I still worry. I still wonder about the efficacy of that move for for so many players. Like, I mean, look at R.J. Hampton now. He went to Australia. Yeah. yeah. And did it help him? I'm not sure it did. Mm, but not too sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's you know, who's to, who's to say? But obviously, Brandon Jennings had has had a lengthy NBA career. With that said, college ball is the next move. In in California, it's a very unique scene where the community colleges and junior colleges are so robust and plentiful. Where if you're on the East Coast, that's that's almost like a that's a backstop move. Like you don't you don't even think about playing JUCO unless you've exhausted every single option. You know, in Southern California and Northern California, it's a completely different scenario. So when you were when you were leaving high school, what were some of the options that you were trying to pursue and what did you end up uh, stumbling across? Oh, uh, it was, I had two options and, and now looking back at it, it was probably, it was a beautiful situation. I wish I would have made a different choice. Um, but I had one option. Um, I worked with uh, coach Max Ward at the time, who's like uh, the assistant coach at Cal State Dominguez. And uh, he uh, offered opportunity um, 
because I went and uh, went, I met Coach uh, Coach Ward through basketball camps, and uh, he helped me just off of the love of the game, and um, he gave me the option to go help. You know, pretty much. I don't I don't know if you ever heard of athletes' performance, but it's a it's a performance based um, facility that trains NBA players, MLS players, and um, he gave me the opportunity to be a ball boy for these. Uh, for that program, and I was meeting Andre Karolinko and Jelani McCoy, Fred Jones, and um, I helped it throughout the whole summer. He actually, at the end of that, um, gave me the option to go play at Cal State Dominguez um, out of high school. And my other option was my cousin um, was like a pretty much a, a counselor at Cal State Northridge, and and I had an opportunity to go there just for schooling. Um, but also ha- maybe have an op- opportunity to try out for the team, which wasn't, you know, the was actually pretty good too, uh, but not a c- complete opportunity to try out for that team, but just to go there for, for academics. And um, for some odd reason, I chose the opportunity to go to Cal State Northridge. And um, granted, it was awesome there. Didn't end up trying out for the team at all, um, but I wish I went to, went to Cal State Dominguez. <laughs> a long story short. <laughs> So then, you know, because I know what some of your next steps were, at what point did you decide that basketball was something that you couldn't let go of so easily? Oh, man, I want to say maybe my third semester at Costa Northridge. Um, so I ended up coming back home to L.A. Um, and uh, I went Juco. Uh, I went Juco, went to uh, actually, I went, you know, again, like you mentioned it, like the, um, the scene of, of college basketball and the junior college scene in L.A. is so it's so huge, you know, like you have an opportunity to literally try out for maybe 10 JUCOs if you want at one time, you know, and, and that's, that's kind of what I did. Uh, I went to Long Beach city college. Uh, it actually went really well, um, but wasn't getting enough playing time. And so I ended up going to Cypress college, uh, and went through the same worked my absolute, my butt off. Um, I worked so hard. I can honestly say that. And uh, ended up selling it at Cypress College and still didn't end up uh, getting the opportunity that I would have liked, um, uh, but still continued to work. And um, long story short, ended up finding a, a small school up north, uh, NAIA, called West Coast Baptist. Uh, they gave me an opportunity of a lifetime, but it's a private institution and I couldn't afford it. So I had to come back home <laughs> and um Worked my butt off again. Uh, I actually tried going back to Cypress College. Mind you, I'm on the older side. That's the thing about Juco. You can play, <laughs> you can be 30, 40 years old, play Juco if you want, if you have enough time with your clock. And um, I ended up being up in age and still trying to go Juco. Um, didn't work out. And uh, and actually worked my butt, <laughs> continued to work my butt off. And uh, got a partial scholarship to a small school called Life Pacific University. Um, and that's just, and that's when I eventually lost my scholarship and found running. So it's been one crazy journey. <laughs> that that is a crazy journey. You don't see many people going from Division One school to a variety of different JUCOs to NAIA back to a JUCO, and you know that 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 is a wild story. It it really it reminds me a little bit of Horace Jenkins. I don't know if you remember him out yeah. of New Jersey, but Sounds he. Familiar. So he was early, early 2000s and in New Jersey, and he was just like, just kind of kicking around. 
Like he never really like went to college. I don't even, you know, I think, I think he, I don't, I'm not sure if he graduated from high school or if he got like, um, if he got like a certificate, you know, after the fact, um, but he was just kind of hanging around, just playing in a bunch of different leagues on Jersey. Then, you know, the Jersey Summer Pro League is just like very well known. It's one of the best East Coast Summer Leagues out there. So he's playing in the Jersey Summer Pro League. He's a New Jersey kid. Uh, at this point, he's just like, he's a grown man. He's like 27 years old. Um, but he's playing in this league against, against, against very good players. And then one of the games, he puts up like 35 and he's like going at it with Jay Williams, who's another, who's another Jersey guy, you know, a little younger than, um, than Horace, but, you know, I think at the time Jay was around 22, but he's playing at Duke at that point. So, you know, he didn't, I wouldn't say he outdueled him, but he you know, plays really well in this game. And this D3 coach recognizes Horace and he's like, hey, do you want to come play for me? <laughs> I think it was William Patterson. Yes, William Patterson was the school. It was like a state school in New Jersey. Next thing you know, Horace is like the Division Three player of the year. And he's like 28 at this point. <laughs> and... And because he never started his clock in college, he's able to play later on in his later on in life. And I actually had to guard him in a game. Wow. And God, was that not pretty? <laughs> Let me tell you that. You know, I remember it was. Uh, you know, I, I scored the first basket of the game, and I'm not sure our team scored a basket after that, uh, <laughs> frankly. But then you might recognize his name because then two months later, ESPN chronicled him on draft night because there was a chance he was going to get drafted. So he was one of the people that they followed around before the draft and they had like a video camera in his living room because he was just as good as a lot of the other guys who were drafted, but he was also like 10 years older. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, is someone going to take a gamble on him? He basically was like the exact same kind of player as Daryl Armstrong. If you remember him from the Orlando Magic. Yeah, I remember Daryl Armstrong. Yeah, Yeah. same body type, like 6'1", like 145 pounds, but like super springy. And um, (laughs) anyway, that kind of reminds me of that. So. When you're at Life Pacific and you're there and all of a sudden you start to see the writing on the wall, you said that's when running started to come into the picture. So kind of walk me through that. How how did running start to start to make an entrance? I mean, um, I mean, just to kind of even kind of like backtrack a little bit, like when I started really started to understand like basketball, it, it just the door just shut. Um, but prior to that door being shut, I was actually uh, driving to downtown LA from San Dimas, California, which is about a little less than an hour, maybe. <laughs> so it was pretty far. And I just needed to kind of just get away, you know? Um, and I had a friend who reached out to me, Hey, like this running club is happening. And it was a running club called Blacklist LA. And they run at 10 o'clock at night on Mondays, every Monday, faithfully they will run. And so I was driving out to downtown LA, uh, running, uh, with this group of people. And, Having the time of my life, uh, Matt, like literally just feeling peace. Uh, so I just kept going, you know, every Monday. I would just go, literally get out, literally get out of practice, get them, eat some dinner, uh, do some homework and drive right to downtown LA every Monday, then drive back and, and start over again as far as like with schooling. Um, and I kept coming, you know, every week or, you know, every other week. And, and, um, and people were like, "Hey, Marquise, man, you should run." And I'm like, "No, I'm a basketball player. You know, this is I'm just here just to get my mind off some things and just you know just enjoy the time." And and I kept getting encouraged, kept getting encouraged, and and I finally took that encouragement, especially once the once the door finally shut and basketball was done. Um, ended up reaching out to uh a, 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 his uh his my, uh the coach at the, my coach at the time, Blue Benedum, and. He get he helped me and nurtured me and and that's when I got into marathoning. I originally actually went into into 
uh, reaching out to him just in, in, in correlation to just 5K, 10K. I wasn't thinking about no nothing, no marathon, no half marathon. And uh, he encouraged me that, you know, there's no progression in the 5K, 10K unless you're doing that, you know, in, when you were, you know, 15 years old to maybe running at a high level in college. Other than that, you know, it's a little bit, it's a, it's an ending sport pre- pretty much at that at that time unless you're doing it sooner. And uh, he said marathon is the only progression. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm running, I'm <laughs> running a marathon. And that's how it started. Well... <laughs> I think the jury's out on that opinion. <laughs> There's probably a lot of different ways you could go. But obviously, he's a man of conviction, and it certainly worked out for you. So, you know, who's who's the, who's the second guess? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, let, but let me ask you this question then. Um, when when you immediately said right there, like, you were having the time of your life, that's so interesting because you've been on this basketball odyssey at this point, right? And all of a sudden, you're picking up a sport, a brand new sport. Right. I mean, running is part of every other sport, but for all intents and purposes, this is a brand new sport. It's not like you hopped into like a track workout where you're like, hey, I've been sprinting for two, 20 years now. It's part of basketball. Right. Like I've been doing this. You pick up something completely different and you have the time of your life. What about that experience, both athletically and socially, made it so impactful? I, I think just um, the the energy. Um, the energy man was it was contagious. A lot of smiling, a lot of just just genuine conversation, genuine energy, and that's something I I, ne- I would never forget. And and it feels good to kind of go back on mem- go down memory lane as well, just think about those times. And people just checking in on you. How are you doing? Um, how was your day? Um, again, just again, great energy, great energy. Let me ask you this: as someone who let me put it this way. I don't want to make everything basketball related, but basketball can be very competitive with peers and even even teammates. What was it like for you to all of a sudden step into an area where you're not necessarily competitive with the people that you're training with? Oh, I mean, no issue, no problem. I, th- I think that actually, it actually helped a lot because uh, basketball was stressful. You know, like you have to have this, you got to meet a lot of just, how can you say it? You gotta, you gotta, just, you gotta meet too many needs. You have to meet there's it's, it's just so many stressors. There's so, there's so many stressors in a game of basketball, and on top of that, if you're not performing well enough, it's the stress you put on yourself. And so it was. I didn't perform as well because of that. Um, very, I'm very, I'm a very mental person, and uh, and I, and that's and that's I'm easy, it's easier for me to say now. Before I, I couldn't figure it out. Um, but basketball was very, very stressful. Um, and running had, had everything but that to it. So I think that's maybe what attracted to me even more. I was able to care for others. I was able to do that for basketball. I loved every single teammate that I have. Never had any bad issues with in situation with no teammates. I love the game. I love the competitiveness. I still have that. That's kind of what, what's helped me to this day was, was the, the principles and the work ethic that you have to have with basketball. Um, but it was very stressful <laughs> and, and running still has that same, a different type of stress, but, um, not as much. Yeah, I can imagine. And when you say that parts of basketball was stressful, what, what specific parts for you as someone you, you mentioned before that mentally that you, you know, you like to think things out and that's something that, you know, that that's a big part of your life. What part of basketball specifically was, was the most stressful for you? 
Oh man, uh, I mean, again, it, it, from when you're not playing well, you're not having a good time at all. Um, so, but the, just not playing well and playing time, especially when you're not playing at all in games, that becomes very mental. Like you can only be positive. You can be. You can put in so much work. Um, but it takes a special person to be able to persevere through that. And I did it for long enough, but I just kind of blew my fuse. And again, once you're in a hole, you're in a hole in the game of basketball. Uh, you need to have some some positive stones to climb on to get your, get your, get get yourself out of that. But just the uh, the pressure from coaches, the pressure you get from your teammates, and as well as yourself. So that's about ten different things per se. You know, that's a lot. You know, to deal with sometimes. Now, I know the era of basketball that you grew up in, and I know the attire that comes with it. What was it like for you trying to figure out what you were going to wear for some of these long runs? Because I know the length of basketball shorts that you probably wore prior <laughs> to starting this journey. And, and basketball shorts now are very short compared oh, very, to when yeah, we, you and I now. were playing. What, what, was, what were some of the attire that you were wearing to these long runs? Um, I'm, a, I'm a actually a, I'm a half-tight guy. Um, I love half tights, and I, I mean, I, I can rock the two inches as well. Um, but that, that, was that what you? But that what you did right away, or was there some sort of evolution oh, no. that happened oh, here? No, no, no. Actually, right away, I was actually wearing. To be honest, man, I was actually wearing my practice basketball shorts, and I was wearing <laughs> basketball shoes when I first started, and then ended up using some trainers that I ended up finding out that I, that I had that were super heavy. I'm wearing basketball socks, again, my basketball shorts, my reverse ball practice shorts, to be specific. So I definitely didn't have the Stilo right away. It took, it took some time. <laughs> I remember when I, when I did cross country in high school, I was a basketball player first. And I was like, all right, I'm only going to do this to prepare for basketball to the point where as a, as a point of pride, I was like, I will not wear running shorts. I'm only wearing <laughs> basketball shorts because I'm a basketball player and not a runner. To the point where, like, the coach, like, I mean, after after a month, he finally gave up. But the first month, he's like, can you please just stop? Can, yeah. can you please just wear the uniform? I'm like, listen, I will wear the right colors, but I'm not wearing those nut huggers over there. I'm not doing oh, it. Oh, man. Hey, and it. Coaches, especially running coaches, it's there's a there's a there's a religion to everything, you know, in running. <laughs> that definitely was an aerodynamic of wearing some basketball shorts. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, you run enough in those, and you're you're gonna make a conversion on your own. You don't even yeah. need to be prompted because if you run long enough, the chafing will change your mind. Uh, it will. It definitely will. <laughs> Chafing's a real deal. Yeah, I think that that I think for me ultimately. You know, later on in life, I was like, you know what? I'm going to set ego aside here, and I'm going to go with the health of my legs. I'm not, I, I just can't do this anymore. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you came to that that conclusion. That was a smart move. <laughs> I can't go with the two inches though. That's that scares me. I got a, I got a friend, um, oh Mark Remy, who's who's, yeah, who's who actually <laughs> sent me a pair of shorts that even today I think they're three inches shorter than my underwear. Oh, he's like, wow. when are you going to wear those shorts I sent you? I'm like, Mark, it. It's never, ever going to happen. But I really appreciate the generosity. It's, it's, it's actually not as bad as you think. <laughs> Listen, it's not going to be as bad for me as it will be for my neighbors. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, at this point, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm still in summer. But, you know, for, for me, my skin tone is luminescent. So if I'm running in those, 
it's basically like watching like a full moon roll down the block. Oh man. <laughs> All right. So, enough, enough, about, enough about this, man, this, this thing went off the rails fast. All right. So, oh, so, man. All right, so, so you're having this experience and it's obviously not just about the athletic experience. You have this social experience as well. Um, what beyond just the initial introduction and all of a sudden you're finding joy in sport that is refreshing and it's inspiring and you're motivated and I'm assuming there's some level of, some level of success you're happening having right away. Um, when did being a runner some is something that you would say use in conversation? Like I am a runner. I running is what I do. Oh man, I I, I think when Matt when. I, uh, I mean, I, I was pretty injured um, early on as well because my body just just wasn't used to the sport of running, especially long distance. Um, but once I got out of that and I was able to taste a little bit of success, and pretty much from my first marathon back in 2017, um, 2017, yeah. Um, after that, it, it was just a fire lit up under me, and I, I knew that I was onto something. And, and again, Coach Blue, uh, my coach at the time, he lit that fire up under me. Like Marquise, you have, you're on to something, and I just kept believing that, and I still believe that. Um, and it, it just kind of just started to nurture, started to nurture, and and now my dream and my goal is to, is to make it to the trials, Olympic trials, and um, and to hopefully run p- even past that, uh, and just do the, just be the best runner that I can. So um, it's something I'm so again so grateful for. Now, those are enormous goals, and I'm sure that you came to them, you know, through a process of seeing yourself improve and seeing others. You mentioned before about the basketball players that were in your orbit just geographically growing up, and you grew up in a time, first of all, L.A. area basketball is always very good, but you grew up in a time where there were future NBA players in many different leagues in the city and in the surrounding area. So who were some of the runners that you started to yeah, gravitate towards, but you know, people that you started looking at and saying, Hey, wow, look at what they're doing. I wonder if I could do that. Or even if they weren't maybe mentors in the truest sense of the word, people that influenced you as a runner early on in your progression. Oh man. Uh, definitely. Again, blue Benedum, uh, was, was big. Um, I, I gravitate. I love Bernard Lagat. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Bernard Lagat. even had the opportunity to meet him a couple of times just through Nike uh, here in LA, um, and Mo Farah, uh, those, those, those three people were, uh, were just huge. And, oh, and Elliot Kipchoge, you know, um, being able to watch him and do his, his unreal <laughs> things that he does with his running. Uh, but those four people for sure were definitely, um, people I look up to and, uh, and have the chance to look at and get and build that foundation and still do. How about anybody locally in L.A. that either you were running with for track workouts or maybe like, all right, you were maybe doing maybe not doing a workout with them, but they were maybe doing a workout at the same time as you or maybe right before you or after you or the same thing with a long run that you were able to see like, wow, like this person isn't maybe, you know, maybe we're not talking about Mo Farah here. We're talking about someone who's, you know, a level up or two from you, but you could say maybe relate to them in a way of like, wow, if I continue to improve, maybe I could get there. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, I mean, my, my, my brother, Gordon, my boy, my boy, Gordon Clark, 
um, uh, Joe, pretty much a teammate of mine. He's, I ran my first 20 miler with these guys and they've done way more 20 milers than I did at the time. And, um, just to see myself, uh, with those guys, they were, they were, that was part, that was again, the first, when I first got into running, getting preparing for the Chicago marathon at the time, my first marathon and ran my first 20 miler with those guys. It's, it's forever ingrained in my heart. And uh, these guys know that, um, but Joe and Joe and Gordon are, are definitely my brothers, you know, from another mother per se, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, I still look up to these guys. They're, they're amazing runners uh, here in LA and um, definitely that, that uh, those two guys for sure. And my, and my current coach, Omar, sat, just, a, just a great runner. All right. So in the article on Temple Journal that you did with Ryan Sterner, you talk about your first marathon in Chicago. You just mentioned that, like, basically, like, <laughs> your, your first race of sorts that your coach is like, no, 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 just marathon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's an interesting move, and it's worked out well, right? Who's who's the second guest? But so you, you go to Chicago, and I've already read this. I was dying laughing because, like, oh, really? <laughs> I, you know, not, not, only, not only because I didn't think it was funny per se, but, like, I could relate to my own marathon experience, and I, like, could feel the pain in my legs just reading this. But oh, te- tell the people who are listening exactly what happened at Chicago because I think so many people can relate to this, but it's also so, like, transformative in a way because what you were able to do early in that race maybe was, was fairly prescient. Oh man, my, I went out too fast. <laughs> and, um, but the first 15 miles, I was on pace to run, uh, 240, 245. And, and I don't know if you ever had a chance to, uh, run Chicago Marathon, but, um, your pacing is completely off the charts because of the tall buildings. Um, and so I remember, uh, Coach Blue was like the day we had our team meeting. And he was like, make sure you guys are, you know, setting your watches to, you know, to manual so you can manually split yourself so you can get your actual splits. And I completely pretty much forgot. <laughs> well, I still did it, but it was still kind of, but the pacing was off the wall. So I don't know what but you're, pace but I you're was coming running. from a city. Did you, did you put a lot of stock in that? Or you're like, listen, we're coming from LA. Like it's not, I'm, I'm used to urban areas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to really deal with, I mean, where I kind of run, it's not really too many tall buildings per se. So it, it, it didn't think twice. So. Um, yeah, it went out too fast, but I felt amazing. Uh, felt amazing the first 15 miles. And I thought I was like, okay, this is what it feels like. And then I hit the wall. Boom. <laughs> just smack dab. Just, just, it, I, it's such an unreal feeling. I don't know. Um, the, the, when you hit the wall, it's just, you just know it. And, um, my hamstring seized up, uh, mile after mile and, I had one of my good buddies, Ray. I, I love this guy. This is my brother for life. And he happened to be there uh, right as I uh, <laughs> seized up on the first mile, mile 16. And uh, he rubbed my hamstring out for me. And um, my my left one ended up going out vice versa. Um, but pushed through it, uh, finished at 3.09 uh, for my first marathon. And um, and it's a day I'll never forget. <laughs> Unfor- unforgettable day. <laughs> So 309 is a great first marathon. I mean, it's a great marathon period, right? I mean, that's really, really well done. So congratulations. Obviously, people usually aren't looking for that kind of negative split or positive split, I should say, (laughs) between the first half and second half. So so I do have to ask, though, what what was the plan going into the race? So I'm assuming it wasn't run 245 for the first 15 miles. 
Uh, no, definitely, definitely. Coach Blue said definitely take it easy <laughs> the first twenty. But uh, Chicago is just so much great energy. Like, I it you just fly because I mean the course is flat. You don't you don't really you don't experience zero hill until the last eight hundred meters of the race. And I was just just buying in with the energy that I, that was that I was just sitting and running in. You know, I'm running with uh, with, with one, some of my buddies and. We're just flying through Chicago, and and I, I remember there was no uh, there was some talk doing while we're racing. Like I remember hearing a guy saying, "Oh, these guys are bold," and I heard that guy say that next to me, and I kind of chuckled, like, "Man, we're feeling good." And <laughs> dude, four miles later, yeah, he, he was right. <laughs> yeah. So that so that race, when you when you think back on that race, do you view that race? I mean, not not now because you've done a lot of things since. But shortly thereafter, did you view that race as like, wow, this is proof that I can do big things. Look what I did early in the race. Or did you view it as like, wow, this is a lot harder than I expected. Should I rethink this? Look at what happened in the second half of the race. Uh, a little bit of both, actually, Matt. Um, I mean, I, granted, I didn't really know what was too much of a fast time with marathon- marathoning at that time. Um, I was just more so grateful just to finish. <laughs> But um, I, I was disappointed in myself because I wanted to, you know, finish it feeling great. And, after, you know, after the fact, learning that marathon, that does not really happen too much in, in marathon. You're going to you're going to feel some pain no matter what. Um, but, you know, talking to Coach Blue at the time and he was like, man, you you pretty much ran faster than I did in my first marathon. And that that really resonated in me like, man, really, like Coach Blue didn't ran over 50 plus marathons. And I ran faster than him on his very first one. I'm like, wow, okay. And then I kept getting that kind of great positive energy on for after after that. Just like Marquise, you ran that for your first marathon. That's amazing. You 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 have something to tap into. And Blue again, Blue really encouraged me with that. And again, after hearing it, you know, some more times after that, I, I really believed it, and I I believed it, and I just kept making sure I just put the time in, and um after that and it's a decision i will never forget all right so let's talk about 2020 because you've come a long way you and you what you were able to do the first half of chicago you have done since right you've been able to run marathons coming into 2020 at that at that pace you've been able to really build on that which isn't a surprise right if someone looked someone looked at your first marathon was like hey you're able to do that like wow you continue to work things are going to really work out for you so coming into 2020, what were your goals and what was the schedule? Uh, the goals were to just run faster than uh, than the prior year. Um, but at that time, I was also battling a lot of injuries. Again, this is my body getting used to the marathon. And tw- coming into 2020, I actually got healthy. Got healthy, so I was really excited. Um, I didn't really race much in 2019 or well, 2018. 2019 because of injury again. So I ended up getting healthy, uh, worked on my body uh, really, really hard, you know. And and um, so the, the first race, I believe, of 2020 was um, of actually 20, 2019, actually, uh, was Chicago, Chicago Marathon of 2019. I, that was like my first race back. Wow. And, and that's in the fall. Yeah, that was my first. You don't know. That's like what's the middle of October, right? Correct. Correct. And that was actually my, and I did Chicago 2017. I didn't really race after that because I was so injured. So I came back 
um, ran Chicago 2019, ran 2.51. And so I literally shaved off almost, was that not 11 minutes almost? Um, no, that's what's that? That's 18 minutes from 309. Yeah, so I ran up running 251 in the in twin in 2019 uh of Chicago Marathon and blown away. <laughs> Absolutely blown away. Um and, and and that just again the trajectory just went sky high. And fast forward, uh we're now preparing uh for LA Marathon now. And the, the, the process was let's work harder. Let's work harder. And that's when I also made my coaching change over to uh, Coach Omar. And um, just to try something new, uh, Coach Blue, uh, it, was a, it was a great choice. Uh, Blue, Blue uh, I suggested it. Blue loved it as well because Omar is on the younger side. And, um, and just try something new, you know. And, and Omar, uh, I love his I – lo- I love Blue. I love Omar equally. Uh, Omar's foundation – uh, to training was, we're not going to skip stages. Uh, granted, we didn't do that with Blue either, but Omar, he, he, it was something about not skipping stages and um, very patient. Um, and, and we just really built a strong relationship. We built a strong plan and, and things just clicked. Things clicked very well. And I just put my heart into it, Matt, really put my heart into it. And um, we actually ran Elliott Marathon as a workout to prepare for Boston Marathon and um, ran 2.41 at LA Marathon as a workout. Like we didn't yeah, run let's it. Let's talk about that. Let's not, let's not skip over that because the LA Marathon is not too far removed from the original date of the Boston Marathon. So when you're planning the 2020 schedule, obviously you're an LA guy. So there's that allure of running the LA Marathon. But how did that fit in terms of um, the scheduling, what's the, the the time range between that race and Boston, and just the idea of hey, we're going to run this race, but we're going to keep it as a workout and trying to still keep it a workout because <laughs> that's easy to say, and sometimes if the juices are flowing, that's harder to do. They're harder to do it. No, definitely. I mean, it did cross my mind like, okay, coach, that's what we're going to do, huh? But again, I trust it, Omar. You know, I trust Omar all my life and trust him with my training and. And prior to LA Marathon, we didn't run over 19 miles. So I was even even more nervous. <laughs> so, um, but again, I believed in our training, and I believe what we did, and then the strategy going going into that uh, was we're going to run the first 20 miles at 90 percent of marathon pace, which was 6:15 pace, and then the last 10k we we'll just race it, see what we'll, see what we have in the tank. You can't go wrong, you know. And I believe that the amount of days in between, I think it was 23 days. Uh, between LA Marathon and maybe a little bit more, actually, I want to say between 23 and 28 days. So it was a perfect timing to kind of get uh, uh, pretty much to see where we're at, you know, in training. I ended up running a fast half marathon actually in February. Uh, so that was a good indicator as well. And um, and we just piggybacked that and ran LA as a workout. Um we're in the first 20, first 20 miles uh, between uh, 610. And, I mean, but we're on 612 and 615 pace and ended up negative splitting running between 530 and 545 the last six, uh, last three miles, I, I would say. So not really workout. Uh, yeah, workout. 
<laughs> I mean, you said a 10 minute PR in the, in the marathon. Yeah. So it was, um, I mean, actually, I'm just kidding. Of course it was a workout. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure like you know, it was, but at the same time, not a traditional workout setting a 10 minute PR in a marathon that your previous PR was like a hallmark paradigm shifting moment. It wasn't like one of the people like, yeah, I set a 10 minute PR, but like, I haven't run that race in like five years. And like, I know if I had, I would have set this PR a long time ago. Like you had just run 251 at Chicago. And like you just told us, like that was a huge moment. Like that was enormous. Here you are six months later, beating it by 10 minutes and saying that was a workout. So I have to ask what the heck happened <laughs> in that six month period? Oh man, we just we just put in a lot of work. Um, and again, uh, Omar took we took baby steps. Like we weren't wasn't running hundred mile weeks. We were just running sp- sp- very thoughtful training. Uh, everything had a purpose, and um, and I love that about Omar. I, I, to this day, I'm so grateful he's my coach. Um, just just with the attention to detail. How are you feeling? You know, a lot of conversations and and things like that. You know and um, and just tr- and trust, <laughs> and it, it it wasn't any magic potion. Uh, we just did the hard work, put the hard work in. Got it. So it was just an evolution of what you were doing before. Just just kind of continuing to step it up to a different level as you increase your fitness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that yeah, and I and I think also the work that you know me and Coach Blue Benedict put in as well. I think kind of it kind of started to. I guess my body started to settle in and. And we just uh, just had a really big unlock, you know, and and it was it was amazing. All right, let me ask you this: a lot of people, men and women, who come from either a very serious high school or even college sport background, where the sport they play is fairly anaerobic, so there's a lot of sprinting, um, not much training that's going to necessarily correlate to long distance running. Oftentimes, those folks they kill track workouts. But like tempo workouts, marathon pace workouts, those they struggle with. And I say struggle, I mean, comparatively speaking, right? Like they might be able to do a track workout with people that have been running for years, but they do a tempo workout and they're like, oh God, like I can't keep up with those people that I ran the track workout with. They'll kill me in this. Um, did you have that same same experience or evolution to your training? Oh, yeah, 100%. I remember specifically, uh, I mentioned my, my brother, Joe. I remember early on, 2017, 2018, we were trying to hit a, a tempo, a, a hard effort workout at 5:45 pace, uh, at, which at the time was just felt impossible, uh, felt impossible. And so making that jump, especially that was kind of early on for basketball, uh, my basketball years, but still kind of my feet are kind of a little bit wet within within running at that time. Um, and I just, I just remember that that. that one or two workouts me and Joe tried doing, we felt the progress because the, the first initial one, we just completely failed. Like we were like, okay, we can't do this. We're not there yet. <laughs> and I remember we did it a second time a couple months later. We got a little bit better, but it still just felt so, so hard. But we will always kill track workouts, you know, um, get stuff on the track. We'll do great. But those, like you said, those tempo, hard effort, marathon effort type workouts were just felt impossible. So what what were the things that you had to do to get over the hump physically and mentally? Uh, um, 
I want to say, Matt, again, just a lot of us just putting the time in and, and it, 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 it low key, it, not low key, I'm sorry. It just, it just, it just, it just paid off. Um, not, and just, just being, just being locked in with the process and, um, a lot of the longer runs, even a lot of the slower runs, as long as it added up, it added up for me. I just felt start, trying to feel stronger, trying to feel stronger, but not getting too happy. So I just wanted to make sure I was doing my best each workout, but we did a lot of fart licks. A lot of fart licks is, was, was key, you know, and, Mona fart licks, you know, you got your two minute on, two minutes off type of things, and and uh, we we Omar and, and they, they believe heavy in that kind of stuff, and that that changes your body. You know, you get into shape so fast doing those type of workouts. Yeah, well, that's it's one of those things where so many people, myself included, have struggled with that. And you know, I remember when I when I when I really got into running in a similar way that you did, and. I would do track workouts and I'd do be able to do track workouts with, with men and women who were running, you were training for like a three Oh five to three ten marathon. And like, at the time I was trying to run a marathon, like three thirty, three thirty five, And it was like, if we were doing a track workout, I was running with them. But if we were doing the tempo work, I was running with people who were preparing for like the three forty five, three fifty marathon. And it was like, what is going on? Like, I mean, I I knew why I was in each group because that's the level I was at, but it was such a weird duality of like, why can't I like, you know, stay with this other group the whole time? <laughs> you know, like, why do I, this is such a, this is such a wide ranging thing. And then I'd run with those other people with, with the, with the, the tempo group. And the, again, there, there's great people in each group. And I loved both of them equally as people, but they'd be like, what are you doing over here? Cause they would have seen me do a track workout two days later, I mean, two days earlier, and they're like, no, you're in the wrong group. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, believe me, you're going to see me struggle. Like, I'm oh, definitely man. in the right group. <laughs> All right. So L.A. happens. And then what was it, like three days later, Boston is postponed? Uh, oh, actually a little bit later than that. Um, I want to say. Because L.A. was March 8th, right? I mean, it must have happened pretty quick. Yeah, well, you know, because we, because uh, that was kind of right when COVID was was pretty much about to happen. Maybe a week later, that's when COVID happened. I remember LA was the last race to happen, um, uh, as far as again co- during COVID time. And um, I want to say, I remember doing some runs with my buddy Nick Spectre out in OC, and we still didn't know. We still didn't know, but there was still time for Boston to still happen. Um, I want to say maybe. Uh, Maybe two. I want definitely the end of March. I will. I would say we we found out um, that it was pretty much just postponed. You know, they didn't cancel it at the time. They just postponed it, and so we kept working. I think I took maybe a week off because of, after LA, uh, since we, since it got postponed to September, right? Yeah, it got postponed to September. Um, no, no, no. To was it August? No, I think I think they were pretty rock solid. I'm putting it into September, September, but correct, then it was correct. like, yeah. our, but 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 then the decision was, oh shoot, <laughs> we might not be able to have it in person. And then the the thing, the second decision was like, oh shoot, we are going to keep it in September, but now we're going to have to make it virtual, virtual because we yeah, still can't have is. the race. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened, Matt. Yeah, and I think the mindset was like, hey, we we put in too much time already, you know, and. Me and Omar were thinking the same thing. Like, let's just keep going with it. And that's what we did. Just just kept going. Okay. So during that time, 
you also had a change from a professional perspective. So what happened, what, what, what COVID realities besides race cancellations were affecting your life during that period? Yes, yeah, so I ended up, uh, unfortunately, be, uh, being laid off uh, at my job at the time, um, which I was doing operations admin for a book distributing company. And I loved the job. It was, it was a, good, a good stressful. You know, I mean, I think every job has a stress to it. Um, but I, I wasn't ever thinking I was going to get laid off. You know, and it took a couple of us by surprise and took me by surprise. And and um, yeah, so I was, I was unfortunately laid off, laid off of work. And when that happens, and I, I've been laid off before, and there literally isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about that day when it happened, um, even though I can look back on that day even now and say, hey, if I had kept my job, I wouldn't be having the life I have now professionally. Exactly. So, like, I know that it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah. It still doesn't alleviate the pain of that day. And I still think about it every single day that goes by. So, mm-hmm. with that being said... When that happens to you, and that can be a really jarring experience, what was, you know, not not day of reaction, because that's pure emotion, but a couple days later, when you're able to look at it with a sober mind, what what was your reaction to that news and what you were going to embrace moving forward? Yeah, of course. I mean, at that time, as as the emotion settled in, I'm like, okay, this is, this is what it is. You know, um, my next thought was like, I want to be a professional runner. I want to. I want to strive for running the best way that I can. This is an opportunity of a, of a lifetime right now. Um, and even at the time as well, like I was applying to get unemployment, and that was even like a shut door. Like I didn't. I didn't receive a dime of unemployment um, uh, at the time because uh, it was so impacted. Because everyone was impacted by you know being by COVID, um, and it, it was very difficult. Um, and, and it, within those, within those couple of weeks, I had, you know, family and friends just encouraged me. It's most of my, my family, like that, that blew my mind seeing my grandmother, and my family, uh, support me running wise. And that just gave me the energy in, as long as, as well as my friends in the community here in LA and people that I know, you know, in the United States as well, like just the encouragement they gave and. And I said, I'm, I told him, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to give everything I have this cycle continually and on forward to to do the best that I can to give myself the best opportunity to become the best runner that I can be. If it's being a professional runner, I will be head over heels for the opportunity. But if it doesn't, it's okay. I'm just going to just put my head down now and just work, not worry about anything other than just giving myself the best opportunity for Boston. And I just wanted to focus on just that one thing. But me making the decision to to really strive for running was a decision I made out of the heartache of being laid off. And that is a bold decision because here you are in a decision. But this that's a whole it's a bold goal because here you are, no true running background to speak of. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you had just run two forty one in a kind of a workout marathon setting, which is extremely commendable. And very, very fast and faster than, you know, 99% of marathoners out there. At the same <laughs> time, it's 30 minutes slower than what 10 Americans did in Chicago in 2019. Correct. Right. Yeah. We had 10 Americans hit 211. Yeah. So you see that and you okay, okay, this is the goal. I want to do something bold and I have a bold vision for the future. 
And yet I'm sure you were aware of where you stood compared to people that you wanted to view as peers. So when you had this goal, you wrapped yourself around that. How were you able to align both of those things in your mind at the same time? Because they are quite different. Yeah, definitely very much so different, Matt. I mean, a part of me knowing that everyone has a different journey. Everyone has a different path. Uh, of course, reality is real. You got you can't you have to respect reality, but I feel like there's nothing more powerful than obtaining a dream and a goal. Um, granted, I know people have been striving to to do marathoning. I mean, their entire lives, and I respect that. And um, and I I'm going to always respect. It. I respect and love this sport uh, with everything in me. But I know if you put your hard mind to something, you can go get out there and knowing it's not going to be easy whatsoever. You know, but it's just something I just believe with that, with in in the, in the pit of my heart, and um, but I know it's going to be a long process, and I, I take my pride, I t- I've taken pride in not skipping steps, and uh, and enjoying the process. All right, so Boston was the original goal. We're doing a little mini Boston series. We're almost an hour into the podcast. We still haven't talked about Boston. <laughs> um, so all of a sudden, Boston's a virtual race. It's in September, and you're gearing up for that. Um, what was the goal heading into the race for you? Not only the time goal, but how you wanted to feel. Um, you know, because you know, because all of a sudden you're doing a virtual race, which is far different than th- the <laughs> things that you had done in the past. Very much so different. <laughs> yeah, virtual virtuals aren't easy whatsoever, <laughs> like at all. <laughs> it's definitely a different feeling. Um, I think our goal was to to to, to be two forty one. You know, not go, not, not go out here and try to crush, you know, uh, a crazy goal. Just go be 241. That could be 240.59. And, that, and that's such a win because we still have three or four more years ahead of us, you know, until trials. And, and, and Coach Omar made a great statement to me like, our goal is not the Olympic trials. You know, we're trying to be, we, we want to be a legends. We want to be better, you know, uh, past that. You know, and so I knew Boston, I want to just come in and just, just do my best that I can. Uh, not try to go out here and run 230 or under, you know, just go out there and just run, just run the race the best that I can and, and just enjoy the process, you know. So the, the goal we set a, a strategic goal is running the first 20 at 610 pace and, and, and the last 10K, same thing, uh, drop a hammer and just do the best you can. And um, we went in and we tried the best. We didn't didn't execute it a little bit as as didn't execute as much as I would like it. I would have liked to have done it, but I gave everything I had. And what did the race day logistics look like for you in terms of like choosing the route? Did you have people that you were running with and fueling? Just the just the logistics of of a virtual race because for so many people, that's you know it's something they they need to figure out. As, as they progress through the virtual race series. Also, it can be something that can be very beneficial because all of a sudden someone's virtual race, they can like treat themselves like an elite runner. Like they have yeah, the yeah, water 100%. table, all this mm-hmm. stuff, and they get to choose the, the topography of their of their route. You know, what, what were some of the decisions that you and your coach made to make that day as positive as possible? Oh man, I'm so grateful for my, uh, for Coach Omar. And he um him and as well as uh, as my brother Noel, he he did such an amazing job. Um, so uh, Coach Omar actually chose. He, Coach Omar ran with Brendan Martinez 
uh, of New Balance. They train out in Big Bear, I believe, or Mammoth, one of the two. I, I get it confused. And then, so they used to run uh, a particular route uh, in Euro Belinda, starting at that sports complex, and it connects uh, to the Santa Ana Riverbed. So he remembered that and remembered how that it was pretty, it was a really good, fast place to run. And so long story short, there's a marathon that runs along that course uh, uh, around that riverbed. And so we pretty much just use the course uh, that starts uh, from Yerba Linda and runs directly uh, through Anaheim, through Santa Ana, uh, all the way to Huntington Beach. So we uh, we did that course. And my buddy Noel, so grateful for him, he biked it uh, um, two or three days prior to us um, doing the race and he did, he took pictures and, and gave turn by turn direction. Uh, okay. You need to watch, watch out for this, watch out for that. And, uh, that helped so much. It made race day so much easier. And my, well, my girlfriend, my roommates and, and some people from LA came out and surprised me, uh, uh along the course. And, and, but, and as far as fueling, we, we fueled every three miles. Uh, we had bottles on a bike. So my coach was on the bike, my buddy, Noel, I uh, was on a bike. Um, my my brother uh, Brian, he was a great photographer. My buddy Devin, great photographer. They came out and and did pictures for us uh, for the race. And yeah, it was just a magical day that came together. I was actually stressing about it. I was trying not to stress about it, but stressed about it because there's so many things you have to plan and and figure out. But you, we always need somebody, and I'm so thankful for them being there to help me on this special day. And uh, they made it. Uh, so much easier and so much worth it uh, with them being there to help me. So ultimately, what time did you end up running for your virtual Boston? Oh, man, um, I, I ended up running 239 high um, and two, PRing by two minutes. All right. So it's so funny. You say, oh, man, like <laughs> it didn't go great. But here you are running 239. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. But you have big dreams. So I can see. I can see one minute you being like, wow, look at this, 239. Who would have guessed it, right? Like, I, you came to running it in 2017 after after a decade, even more, of pursuing your basketball dreams. And yet, it seems like you're, there's you, you view yourself as there's a lot more to do. So what are some of the steps that you want to take in the short term and long term that will help you get closer to the dreams that you just laid out? Oh man, man, I I know that I have to increase everything, you know, and I don't want to just get better at one or two things. I want to get better a lot. Um, but my first thing is first is strengthening my body. Uh, so like next week we're pretty much starting off season, and so to be in the weight room, strength training, and I'm working with a, a nutritionist by the name of Lauren, and she's helping me a ton. And um, my but my buddy Matt out in New York can help me with the strength regimen. And um, just really focus on the little things, and and just try to get str- just try to get stronger mentally and emotionally. Um, as of right now, in this very moment, that's what I can't control. Um, so it's it's a little tough because you know with the whole COVID situation, not knowing what's ahead of us. But I just want to be ready, you know. And I'm in hopes of my next race, whenever the mar- my next marathon, I want, I'm hoping to run two thirty five. Just keep inching the belt down a little bit. I don't want to make you know, too big of a jump and, and, you know, risk things. I just want to continue to progress uh, in the smallest of ways. I know that's going to take a whole other side of me, what I've already given to get there. And I'm, I'm excited for the challenge. 
And you focused on a lot, on a lot of big marathons in the past. And correct, correct. are you th- are you are you looking at maybe Houston in January, LA again, or are you looking somewhere else? Yeah, so we're actually looking to do Houston half marathon uh, to trying to get better at the, at the marathon pacing, um, to get better that that quick that quick quick twitch fibers and again making marathon pace a little bit more easier and then piggybacking Houston half for LA marathon. That's the that's the actual plan we have right now. Marquise, I'm excited to follow along. If other people want to do so and don't currently follow your running journey, where can they do so? Oh, man. I mean, Instagram, I'm at HumbleKeese, H-U-M-B-L-E-Q-U-I-S. And that's where I I just try to share my journey and share just a little bit of motivation and inspiration for all of us as well as myself um, uh, there on Instagram. All right. And I'd recommend anyone going over there. Also, you're going to see a lot of him over at the Tracksmith, Tracksmith oh, account. <laughs> I actually just bought um, four things uh, off their website. They sponsor uh, what I'm doing with Mastering 40. Um, I think three things I bought you were wearing in the picture. You wear it better than I do. Oh, but no, that's probably man, part that's of the reason it. I bought it. So I can't complain. <laughs> Oh man, man, I'm sure it looks good on you. Man. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, put shine on you. This is just, I'm just saying the facts. As someone, <laughs> as someone you, who's trying to get back into shape, um, I can say that with a certain definiteness that, um, you know, I know it's true. Anyway, with all of that being said, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. Oh man, thank you so much again for having me. It really means a lot to me. Thank you. Marquise, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. I love talking hoops with my fellow runners, and certainly the conversation got much better from there. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Also, big ups to our sponsors, Prevenex and Gooder. Go check them out today, Prevenex.com and Gooder.com to improve your inner life with Prevenex, getting the supplements and protein powders that are so good for you, and your outer life with Gooder, looking stylish and fun on the run. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.